Uh, today's reading is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. Would you listen now with open ears as I read from this, the book that we love? But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these things are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we come to this time and we sit under these words. And Father, I recognize that as we come here, we do come from all sorts of different places. Some of us have come in uh, this room and we've listened to these songs. We've heard the scripture read. Uh, and some of us are in, a, in an incredibly wonderful season in our lives. Uh, some of us feel deeply blessed by you, uh, well provided for, healthy, pleasant, and Lord, yet others of us come in here and uh, nothing could be further from the truth. Some of us come in here and our lives are a mess. Some of us come in here with profound pain in the body. Some of us come in here with broken marriages and strife in our families. Others with unemployment, some with depression, some even in despair. And Lord, I recognize further that some of us come in here and we do and have believed in you for a long time. Others of us come in here and we're not quite sure what to think. I'm not sure if you're real, uh, and if you are, if you're good. I'm not sure if the words that have just been read will have any uh, effect on the areas of our lives that worry us the most. And Lord, therefore, I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in, whether we come here in a state of joy or sadness, whether we come in a season of blessing or a season of suffering, whether we come here with much faith in you, or dealing with all kinds of doubt, I pray, O oh God, that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, we all ultimately come the same. We all have an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, to be changed by you. And I pray that you would give us eyes to see how you have addressed this need and the person and work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, and let me welcome you all again to worship here. My name is Darren, and I'm the pastor here, and we are in part two of kind of what I call a filler series, where we are looking at this section in the letter of Galatians, 
whereby Paul is absolutely concerned for the people he is writing to that they might be falling away from Christ. And the way that I'm articulating this is in this way. Uh, Many of you know that my favorite activity as a pastor, if you know me for any length of time, you know my favorite activity as a pastor is visiting you in the hospital when you have a baby. One of my favorite activities, right? It's all joy in the hospital with the babies, okay? It's a wonderful experience. And one of my favorite things is to pray uh, for you, to pray for your little one. And I always pray the same thing. I say, oh God, may this child walk with you all the days of their life. And friends, that is my simple desire this morning. My desire is that for each and every one of you and for your children, that you would walk with God all the days of your life. Now, in saying that, I'm particularly aware that this reality is becoming more and more infrequent in the church in America. So for example, there was a study that I found back in 2001 uh, from the Southern Baptist Convention, which is one of the largest uh, denominations in the US. And their study, this was back in 2001, so this is now uh, 18 years old, and they found that in their tradition that they saw that 70% of teenagers who grew up in the church would stop attending church within two years of their high school graduation. And they articulated it this way. They said, we believe we are losing between 70 and 88% of our youth after their freshman year in college. And so friends, this is a very real reality. Many of you know uh, folks, whether they be kids or adults who have grown up in the church, who have served, who have given, and who have then since walked away from Jesus Christ. Some of them would even say, I no longer believe this, I no longer practice this. Uh, In our own country, we've been experiencing some very high profile pastors church leaders who are actually saying this as well. The most recent, of course, is Josh Harris, uh, who wrote the best-selling book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and has now since announced a separation from his wife, uh, and then about a week later announced his separation from Christ, as he says, I am no longer a Christian. And so I recognize that the content that I'm bringing to you this morning, this desire, this prayer, that you and your children would walk with Jesus Christ all the days of your life. I realize that I'm up against a profoundly bad statistical average in this time, in this place. So therefore, I ask this question, how is it that you and your children might walk with God all the days of your life? And it's similar to the issue that Paul is addressing here in our uh, scripture together as well. In the previous passage that we looked at last week, and if you weren't here, I do invite you to listen to the recording that's posted online. In our section last week, Paul is freaking out. In fact, he's freaking out so badly that we have a special Sunday where the kids are present, and I felt the need to actually censor his language, right? We cut out a, we cut out a couple verses because I didn't, you know, want to offend the kids and the parents, Right, he's freaking out because he says, you, people he's writing to, are becoming severed from Christ. You are falling away. 
People are troubling you. He's very, he's very agitated, he's very angry, and the issue that he draws attention to is that there are folks who are saying to these new Christians, they're saying, you need to follow one tradition if you were going to be a Christian, right? And that was the tradition of circumcision. They said, you, if you're gonna be a Christian, that's great. We believe that you're allowed to be. This was kind of a new development uh, in the church at that time, right? Jewish folks had previously believed that Gentiles were not allowed to become close to God. They said, we do believe you're now allowed in, but you need to become like us. You need to practice these things. And to that, Paul absolutely is completely 100% opposed to this teaching to the point where he says, if you accept circumcision, then Christ will be of no advantage to you. And friends, what Paul is doing in our passage, both last week and this week, is he is addressing the question of what a substantive faith is, what it looks like, and how it works, right? And I love that, I love this language of substance, right? The idea is that you can have faith in Christ whereby you will walk with him all the days of your life, even through philosophy class, even through witnessing unbelievable suffering, even through having your faith challenged in all kinds of ways, or you can have faith that looks like it's real, right? You're going to church regularly, you're serving, you're giving, you're teaching, you're leading Bible studies, but then when a tragedy comes your way, when the philosophy presser is able to win an argument against you, your faith is shown to not have substance. It was simply a mirage, and you walk away. So the question I'm asking is, what does a substantive faith look like? And Paul is addressing this very question uh, in this section when he brings up what faith looks like. What does it look like, and in particular, what does it look like in relationship to the law? And we looked last week at Paul raises effectively two issues that rise in the life of a Christian. And those are this, how does a Christian relate to the law of God, and how does a Christian relate to what he calls the flesh, and we'll define that a little bit here. And this was the basic answer that I, uh, we read from the scriptures and that I saw create all sorts of puzzled looks on your faces. Some of you looked not just puzzled, but ready to email our presbytery and say, Darren has gone off the rails, right? Some of you did do that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, what Paul said is this, right? He said, you are not under the law. In fact, he says it again this week. He says, if you're led by the Spirit, I believe this is verse 18, it's in my notes, I believe it's verse 18, it says, if you are led by the Spirit, then you are not under the law. Meaning, there is no requirement left for you to do. There is nothing for you to do. There is no rule to live by. There is no activity you must fulfill, but you are accepted by God 100% period. And his concern, actually, is, is that these folks would say, yes, but no, I must do this. I must go get circumcised. I must 
act this way, I must live this way. And he says, if you do that, if you believe that you must do something, i.e. circumcision, then that means that you must keep the entirety of the law because now your standing with God is now therefore based on the things you do and not based on the finished work of Jesus Christ whereby he said, it's finished. The law is canceled. You are accepted. Now, the puzzled look on your faces, I believe, was raising this question. Well, Darren, if what you're saying is true, that I can do anything I want, I can do anything I want. I can go consume anything. I can go participate in anything. You know, and the way that Paul raised this question was this. He said, if the gospel is true, if all of our sins have been canceled, if we are not under the law at all, then should we go sin in order that grace may increase? This was the question he raised in the sixth chapter of Romans. And friends, if you are asking that question, if you are asking the question, well, if the gospel is true, if what Paul is saying is real, then shall we go sin more? Then you are, then you are understanding a significant part of the gospel if you're asking it that way, right? If you're asking it that way, if you're saying it, you're, Paul, Paul expects that question if you understand the gospel correctly. And what he's doing in this passage, and what he did last week, and we're going to flesh it out a lot more this week, is Paul will maintain his assertion that if you are a Christian, that you are not under the law, that the law holds no force, no power over you. But then he addresses the objection that's raised. Well, therefore, shall we go just do whatever we want? Shall we go you know, sleep with whoever we want? Shall we go withhold our money from the government? Shall we go, you know, speak lies to our spouses if we don't want to engage in a difficult conversation? How shall we live? And this is what Paul says. You see, Paul rejects the language of law. He rejects the idea that you must follow a certain set of rules, right? Commonly called legalism. Instead, he prefers a completely and entirely different way of speaking, and he uses this language of gratifying the desires of the flesh. And listen to what he says in verse 16. He says, but I say, in contrary to these folks who say you must do this, you must do that, you must do the other thing, right? That's law. He says, no, I say, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And friends, what Paul is bringing up here, which is something that is absolutely beautiful and absolutely unique about Christian faith is this. You see, every other religion that I'm aware of effectively teaches the same thing. It effectively says, right, whether you're Buddhist, whether you're um, Muslim, whether you're New Age, all, all these other religions effectively do the same thing where they say, this is who God is, and this is what you must do in order to kind of keep him happy with you. But Christian faith says this. It says that if you will accept the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf, then there is no longer anything you must do to be accepted by him. That he accepts you 100%. And he accepts you to the point, this is what our passage will focus on, that he will come so close to you, even using the language of indwelling. 
right? And this is, the, this is the idea that Paul is presenting here. It's really an idea first presented in the Old Testament and then uh, emphasized by the Lord Jesus himself. You see, see, Paul says the essence of a Christian, the very essence of a Christian is someone who has a relationship with the Spirit of God that is properly characterized by the word leadership, right? So for example, in uh, verse 18, he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law, meaning the law does not apply to you. It does not condemn you, right? He will say effectively the same thing in Romans chapter eight, verses 14, where he said, for all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, these are the children of God. And friends, this is the idea in Christian faith. The idea is this, that before you were a Christian, before Jesus Christ was something in your life whereby you had faith in him, you were condemned all the time, 100%. You were condemned for not loving your neighbor as yourself. You were condemned by not speaking truthfully. You were condemned by not having a pure mind and a pure heart. You were condemned by the way that you used your resources and also by the way you didn't use your resources. All the time you could read the scriptures and you could find issue after issue after issue after issue where that said, you are a sinner. You have failed. You are failing all the time. But when you heard the message preached, whereby the scripture says, if you will receive Jesus Christ's finished work on your behalf, if you will look at what he did on the cross and say, I accept that, I receive you, I trust in you, everything's canceled 100%. Why? Well, this is what Jesus will uh, explain, and this is what Paul will emphasize. He'll say this, the law was canceled. All of the reasons that you might feel guilty, might be ashamed, might be condemned, all of those things were completely written off, canceled. Why? So that you and God could become very close. That's the whole idea, right? In the beginning of Scripture where Adam and Eve decide to go against God's uh, commands. They go away from him, and all of a sudden, they're afraid of him. They don't want to be close to him. They want to be far away. There's a separation that occurs. But when you become a Christian, you can actually draw close to God. So close, in fact, that the word that's used in the scripture is this word indwell. That God's very presence can come all the way inside you right, where, where it couldn't do that before because you were constantly condemned as being unclean, all right, so the whole idea behind the gospel is that you are unclean because of the things you do, the things you think, the things you say, the things you don't do, right, when you see areas in which you could love and serve others and you say, I, I don't want to do that, I want to do other things, right, I want to go spend my time other ways, all these things condemn you, when the gospel comes into your life, when you accept Christ, all those things are canceled so that you can be close to God and the language that's used is this word, indwell. And this is the very point of what God is doing in history, in the gospel. Listen to the words of Jesus Christ in John chapter 16. He's saying goodbye to his friends. They're grieving the fact that he's about to leave them and this is what he says. He says, nevertheless, this is chapter 16, verse seven. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. 
it is to your advantage that I go away. Jesus is saying it's a good thing that I'm about to leave you. Why? For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Do you hear what Jesus is saying there? He's saying the thing that you need the most, that which is better than even my physical presence with you, there's something that's better than that, right? There's something that's better than Jesus being in the room, around the campfire, able to be asked questions of, able to heal the sick, able to open the eyes of the blind to heal the deaf. There's something even better than all those things, and that is the promised Holy Spirit drawing close to a man, woman, or child in such a way that properly the word indwell might be used in that case. And that's what Jesus says. This is far more important than me being with you. And of course, he's just simply echoing the Old Testament. So for example, in uh, the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 36, verses 25 and following, uh, the work of Christ is uh, looked forward to with these words. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, foreshadowing the sacrament of baptism. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanness. Do you hear that? And of all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and will cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. And friends, this is, gets at the idea that Paul is presenting here as to the relationship between the Christian and the law of God. You see, the relationship goes something like this. You are absolutely not liable to the demands of the law on your life if you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, the very essence of being in Christ is having God's Spirit within you. What does the Spirit within you do? Answer, gives you the desires of God to live for Him. That's how that works. Do you see the difference there? If you have the Spirit of God, Paul says, then you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Right, so if you have His Spirit, then you will begin to desire things differently, not because they are arbitrary rules over here that you must do in order to feel good about yourself, but because his very spirit is at work in you to give you those desires in such a way that you begin to grow and change. Okay, that's the basic idea behind what is happening here. And so friends, I can tell you that there is nothing in my Christian experience that has revolutionized my experience with God more than this teaching. Uh, even in recent years, this has become a, uh, a profound change that has taken place in me as I have discovered area after area where I had, and, and to some extent still am, living as someone whose very goal oftentimes is to fulfill arbitrary rules so that I can feel good about myself. Right? That's called being a legalist, and I am a recovering legalist, still discerning all sorts of areas. And I'll tell you that about a year and a half ago, I started to see how I was acting this way when it came to the practice of prayer. Right? I did a whole sermon series on this you can go and listen to. We called it Living on a Prayer, Learning to Love to Pray. 
And what I discovered is that I would pray, but I would pray often simply so that I could feel good that I had done my duty for the day. My prayers were lifeless. Oftentimes they didn't happen, right? And the way that I would feel about myself was connected to whether I followed the rule or not. And what I discovered about a year and a half ago is this, that God loves me the exact same amount whether I pray or not, right? And there's no amount of praying that is gonna make him love me any more than he already does. And there's no law that says I must pray. But instead, I've begun to discover that I have the freedom to go before the face of God, to bring my burdens to him, the things that are keeping me up at night, the things that I'm anxious about, the things that I would love to see take place in this church, in my life, in my family, that I have the freedom to go to him and to say, Father, these are the things I'm worried about. Would you address them? Would you bring healing to them? And all of a sudden, prayer became less about a rule and more about a relationship, right? And I'll tell you that when that happens, when you realize that you don't have to pray, all of a sudden your prayers will take on a lot more life in themselves, why? Because that is the presence of the Holy Spirit at work. You see, the legalist is concerned about outward conformity, whereas the one who has the Spirit is concerned about getting God himself. Right, you see the difference there? These folks that Paul were speak was speaking to, many of them would lecture about moral conformity. These were the folks that you would never expect you know, to see uh, knocking on the door of a prostitute, for example, right? These were the ones that said, this is how you live a really, really, really holy life. You do this, you do that, you do the other thing. You would never expect them uh, to be gratifying the desires of the flesh, so to speak. But Paul says, actually, actually, those methods are completely incapable of putting the flesh at bay. And I think that what we're seeing actually in our culture as we see uh, folks who once were Bible teachers, so for example, one of the most, I think, uh, powerful cases is a man named Bill Gothard. If you've ever, anyone here heard of Bill Gothard? Like three people. But Bill Gothard used to teach and lecture about the dangers of rock music. And he had uh, an extraordinary set of content devoted to how to be a moral, upstanding person. And years later, he started receiving accusation after accusation of female staff member who accused him of uh, doing sexually inappropriate things with them while he was teaching on these subjects, right? And what, we're, what we find in life and what we find in the scripture is this, that the law is simply unable to put the flesh at bay. And I think that we're going to, I think we're, we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg. You see, we often in our sinfulness, we often want to find anything to substitute for the very presence of the Holy Spirit. But you see, friends, there is nothing and no one who can be a substitute for the Holy Spirit. And so I want to ask you this question, you know, why, why are you here today? Right? Why, are, why did you come to worship? 
Uh, we've, on, on our staff, we've been doing uh, a survey. Some of you filled this out. We, we asked 30 people, had an outside uh, ministry come in and conduct a survey to sort of assess the church health here at Ironworks. We're still kind of just dissecting it. We're still going through it, right? And it was interesting. One of the things that came up is this. One of the questions said, do you prepare for worship, right? Very few people said yes, right? The next question was, do you experience the power of God in worship? And guess what that answer was? Very few people said yes, right? Something that we're gonna be working on, right? And I'll tell you this, right? Why do you come here? If you're, if you're coming simply to check it off your list saying, you know, I just need this pattern in my life, I need to be a good person, I need to, you know, be part of this rhythm, that's, there's, that's okay. But what I really want you to see is that the very presence of God is here in the scriptures, in the table, in one another, and you have the privilege of experiencing his very presence. And you don't need to be here by any rule or any law, right? That is not upon you if you are a Christian. But if you are a Christian, then that means that you have God's presence in you to such an extent that it shows up in the desires for the things of God starting to win out against the desires for the things of the flesh. And that's what Paul will go into next. He will, he will say, you know, the the desires of the flesh are evident, and then he'll say the fruit of the Spirit, and he'll go in and explain that. And friends, what I'm trying to convey to you is this, um, to, to convey to you, uh, quoting C.S. Lewis, this is what he said. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Right? If you're settling for a, a relationship with God that is based on a few rules whereby you can walk away and feel good about yourself, you are missing out on the joy of God. You are missing out on the experience of God. And so I want to encourage you. What are a couple ways that you might assess this in your life, right? Well, one way is this. Do I pray? And if so, why? Right? Do I pray because I have the ability to bring the very deepest needs of my life to the very presence of the one who controls everything, and I can ask him for absolutely audacious things, like, God, I have completely failed over and over again in my life, but because of Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to bless me. Absolutely audacious. Or, do I come to worship simply to make my family happy, simply to uh, be a part of, of this rhythm, or do I come believing that the very presence of God is at work in the scriptures, at work in the sacrament, at work in one another, and I have the ability to experience him Right? If you do, for example, then you will prepare for that experience. If you believe that God is present here on Sundays as the table is served, as the scripture is read, as the songs are sung, then I want to tell you that one thing you might consider is start preparing for that. Start considering, God, what will you say to me today? What will you address in my heart? 
What will you show me in the relationships I have with one another, right? You'll start to experience the very life of God in the things of God, right? The thing, same things could be said, by the way, with your relationship with scripture. I talk to folks who are often uh, discouraged by how difficult it is to be regular at reading the Bible, right? And it is hard to do that. But one of the ways that it can become less hard is for you to realize there's no rule that says I must read the Bible. Instead, I have the opportunity to hear the voice of God. I have the opportunity to hear from him, to be changed by him, to be addressed by him, or I can just be out on my own completely isolated. Do you see the difference there? This is what the Spirit does. The Spirit is always moving us toward God and away from the flesh. And what Paul will do here is he'll say, look, these are, this is, the works of the flesh are evident, and then he'll go into these categories. There's a category of sexual things. Uh, there are a category of religious things. For example, this verse 20, idolatry and sorcery. Uh, there is a category of what Tim Keller calls over-desires. So for example, the scripture says it's good to drink wine, but it's not good to drink so much that you're drunk. In fact, it's interesting. I, I don't really know why the translators have chosen this, but the word orgies is actually referring to drinking. If you look it up, you can go look it up in your concordance, right? It's actually referring to drinking parties, right? So it's an over-desire for things that are good. The scripture says wine is good, but overindulging in wine is something that's of the flesh. And the last category uh, that comes up in this list, and I think is actually the one that Paul's most interested in in this letter, is the category of relational acts of the flesh. So for example, at the end, he'll say in verse 26, let us not become conceited, right? If you are here this morning and you think you are superior to other folks, right? What you are doing is you are experiencing your flesh at work in your life that is acting out of a hatred for God in such a way that you are being puffed up and saying, I'm so glad I'm not like this person, that person, the other person. That's, you're experiencing the flesh, right? And you are experiencing it just as much as the person who goes home, turns on the computer, and looks at sexual images, right? These are works of the flesh together. Relational works, sexual works, over-desires. Paul says, when you experience these things, these are the forces of the flesh at work in your life. But if you have the Spirit, and if you walk with Him, if you walk by Him, if you, verse 25, live in step with Him, then what you will find is that the desires of the flesh begin to recede. Uh, one, one helpful linguistic note um, is in verse 21. He says, I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This word do is actually the word practice, right? Repeatedly practice. Paul is not saying, look, if you've done any of these things, you know, you're out. What he's saying is this, the Christian is the one who is not characterized by practicing these things, right? Why? Because this presence of the Spirit will have no part of that. The presence of the Spirit will make you hate those things. It will make you desire something else, right? And if you don't have the Spirit, then yeah, you'll be just fine doing any of those things, 
right? You'll just be fine just remaining conceited against your spouse or against others here in the church, against your neighbor. You'll be just fine with that. You'll never begin to rethink that. But if you have the Spirit, the Spirit will be and is pushing you to desire the things of God more than the desires of the flesh. That's how it works, right? So this is uh, the primary teaching that Paul has here. He says, the way that you grow as a Christian is not through the law, but is through walking with God, walking with his spirit. And he says, the way that you know that that's happened in verse 22 is this, you begin to see what he calls the fruit of the Spirit. And he lists this, this wonderful list that uh, many of you have memorized, kids memorize here, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And look at how he articulates it at the end. He says, against such things, there is no law. And the one that Jesus will zero in on the most and the one that Paul and uh, the apostles John will also zero in on the most is the first one, which is love. It's interesting, in the letter of John to the church, in the letter of 1 John, he will go as far to say this. He'll say, the one who loves, speaking of loving others, by the way, does not abide in death, right? And uh, Paul will say in verse 14 of chapter 5 here, he'll say, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Where the Lord Jesus in the 13th chapter of John will say, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you so you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And friends, what is going on here is that the apostle is raising for us the symptom of being filled by the Spirit. Right? The symptom is you begin to love deeper and with a greater cost to yourself than you did before. I'll tell you one practical uh, application of this and then we're gonna wrap it up, right? I talk to folks from time to time, it's not uncommon, I talk to folks who are profoundly discontented in their marriage, right? Profoundly disappointed, profoundly discontented, right? And, and their, their f- desire, their, their wish is they said, you know, I just wish I made a different decision. And now, you know, I'm where I'm at and I'm hopeless, and I'm just going to try to make the best of it, right? That's where, you know, I've heard this a number of times, okay? What I would suggest to you, right, what I would suggest the Holy Spirit wants from you is to see a more costly love flow out of your life towards others. I would, con- I would suggest that what you are truly longing for is not a different spouse, but is for a greater experience of the power of God. And the way that that shows up, for example, is that you begin to love with a greater cost to yourself than you did previously. When that begins to happen, and I've seen it happen, when that begins to happen, when you begin to say, you know what, it's not all about me, it's not all about what I want, I'm going to try to love with a more significant cost to myself, that's the Holy Spirit. If that ever happens in your life, by the way, Take off your shoes because you are in the very presence of God as he is at work in your life. So that's what's going on here, friends. Trying to make the uh, best sense of this as I can. What Paul is after is a kind of faith that has substance. That faith shows up not in the keeping of 
rules, but in the presence and power of God's Holy Spirit. And I long for that for you. And I would ask you as we come to this table, uh, what are you living by? Are you living by a set of rules or are you living in relationship to the Holy God? What's coming out of your life? Which list is winning out? Right? If you're here like me this morning and you find that you're often bankrupt, you're often failed, then we have the invitation to go to this table together whereby we're reminded that there is no law to condemn us. There is no one and nothing that can condemn you if you're in Jesus Christ. Paul will say, who is the one to condemn? For the Lord Jesus Christ has taken upon himself all the penalty for all sin and has set us free so that his very presence can come and live inside us. And if you're here this morning and you are in a place where you're saying, Darren, so much of this uh, is foreign to me, I want to invite you to come to this table. I want to invite you to drink deeply of Christ's love for you. I want to invite you to reject the religion of man that says, here's this rule, here's that rule, here's the other rule. And I want to invite you to drink deeply of his spirit until it changes you like this. Let me pray for us together. Oh, Father in heaven, we praise you, Holy Spirit. We adore you, and I pray that uh, you would come and be among us. I pray, oh God, that you would turn us from all the ways that we have uh, sought acceptance by you uh, that are not from you. Lord, I pray that you would give us a hunger and a thirst for your presence. I pray that your Holy Spirit would have his way with us. I pray, oh God, that from this congregation would pour forth a more costly love Lord, I pray that you would show us that you are with us in this way, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?